Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Lord Jesus, we need to hear your voice. You know how we listen and how we receive. You know what causes us to believe. You know what is making us feel guilty or uncomfortable or just can't pay attention. Lord God, whatever it is, you get through to us, Lord. We need to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You cannot expect change in your life. You cannot expect different results. You cannot expect something new to happen in your life if you don't change your thinking. If your thinking remains the same, but you're expecting new results. If you don't want to change the way you think about how to do, what to do, why to do, but you want new results, new information, new relationships, new starts, new beginnings, it's not going to happen. You have to change your thinking. And God wants us to change our thinking from the way we think to the way Christ thinks. Have I lost anybody? Everybody with me? From the way we think to the way Christ thinks. And that change of thinking, the Greek word is metanoia, means repentance. It means repentance. To change the way I think about life, about God, about sin, to rethink the way I do. Lord, the way I think about this, is it right? Is it the way you think about it? Would you be in agreement with this? If I don't change my thinking, I cannot change my ways. If I don't think change my thinking, I cannot change my relationships. I can't expect a miracle in my marriage. I cannot expect a miracle in my relationship with my son or with my daughter, with my colleagues, with my business partners. I cannot expect fruit in my life if I'm not willing to change my thinking. Men especially struggle with this because we are so committed to the way we think. We honestly believe that our way of thinking is full and final. We don't even discuss it. We finish it in our head and we come out with the decision. At least women talk about it. At least they process it out externally. But men, for the most part, and if we're not willing to change our thinking, to be challenged in our thinking, we're not going to be able to be challenged in our ways. All right, Paul says... We can understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. We can understand what God is thinking, what his ways are and ways because we have the mind of Christ. And it says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, In your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Two words, think and act. In our lives we must think and act. Like I want to give you 10 real quick, real easy characteristics of how to think like Jesus. Are you ready? Okay, and if you're too bored or you don't feel like taking notes or you don't have anything, I can always email it to you. Don't worry about it. But sit back and think and let the Spirit of God uh, may help you pick one or two things that you're going to work on. Number one, I know exactly who I am. That's the way Christ thought. Christ knew exactly who he was. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the son of God. He was absolutely clear about who he was. What's so important about this? If you're misguided in your identity, you will be completely misled in your career, profession, relationships, everything else. If you're not sure about who you are, you will make and help get everybody else's help on becoming somebody. You'll be somebody based on somebody else. You'll be somebody based on what you do. If you don't solve the most important challenge in life, and that is to know who you are, you will not be able to be healthy in anything else that you do. You lose yourself to the relationships and the people and the problems in your life. I repeat, you will lose yourself to the people, relationships, and challenges in your life. Jesus knew exactly who he was. 
Identity is key. That's why the, as soon as you come to Christ, the moment you come to Jesus, the first thing he does is he sets your identity in place. For to those who received him, most rejected him, but for those who received him, he gave to them the right to be called the sons of God. Do you remember that? He gave them, why that? Why sons of God? Because as soon as you know who your father is, then you know who you belong to. You know what your nature is. You know what your business is. You know what your outcomes are going to be. Where your authority lies and your identity in the world. Jesus has set that up for you, number one. Number two, I know God's purpose for my life, Jesus says. He was clear about it. From day one, he was clear about it. He says, I know where I have come from and know where I'm going, John 8. And at the age of 12, when he was in the temple, his mom and dad came looking for him. This was quite insulting. He says to his father and his mother, must I not be about my father's business? Should I not be about my father's business? To his own parents, he's saying, I know who I am. I might be flesh and blood to you, but who I really am is my father's son. And I'm here to do his will. Must I not be about his father's? He says, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdoms, God's kingdom, for I was sent for this purpose. My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Very clear. And God wants you to know and think like Jesus so that you are clear about your life's purpose. God wants you to be clear. No, 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 you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. God wants you to be ultra clear about your life's purpose. And your life's purpose is not to become an engineer or a doctor or a patient or a bridge. That's not your life's purpose. In, in that case, it starts at 30 and ends at 60. So what do you do with the rest of your life? Are you with me? God's purpose for your life is in who you are, not what you do. And God wants you to be absolutely clear. If you think like Christ, you'll behave and act, feel like Christ. And Christ was absolutely clear about what his purpose was in this world. My purpose is to give life to others. My purpose was to give life in full. Number three, I'm always aware that God is with me. Oh, please listen to this. This is important. I'm always aware that God is with me. Jesus said, I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. I mean, if anybody could handle being alone, it could have been Jesus. Think about it. If anybody could, I mean, he did handle it. He was on the cross alone. He was on the cross alone. He was the one person who could categorically say that God abandoned me. In fact, he did say that God abandoned me. He said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's the only one who got through alone. And he's saying, I know that my father is always with me. My father is always with me. Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. My dear brothers and sisters, my friends, two of our greatest fears is abandonment and loneliness. Everything you do is in protective measure to protect yourself from abandonment and loneliness. All the manipulation we do to keep people in our lives is so that they don't abandon us. All the investment we do in people is so that they, we have enough of a, of a leverage so that they don't leave us. We don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be abandoned. I cannot forgive you for abandoning me. I can forgive you for beating me up. I can forgive you for getting more marks than me. But I can't forgive you for abandoning me. That's the hardest, hardest thing to forgive. 
Children grow up with a sense of abandonment that their parents let them go. Either they were absent parents or they gave them up for adoption. Never get over that. The human heart cannot handle abandonment. It was made for family. It was made to hear the voice of God, the voice of a father, the voice of a mother from day one. That's why parents speak to the child even though the child is inside the uh, Tupperware. <laughs> they are packed in there. They don't care. They are not bothered. But the mother is talking to the child and the father is talking to the child. That's not foolish. It's very, very wise. Because the first thing they're introducing the child to is not physical touch, but audio intimacy. How do you know your father is there? You can hear his voice. How do you feel when you don't hear his voice anymore? You feel he is not there. And here's the problem. Most of us are self-condemning. We always are always counting bad versus good, good versus bad, bad versus good, good versus bad. We think that God's purpose in life is for us to be good for nothing. We think that God's purpose in life is that we should be holy, we should be good, don't do anything wrong, because that's how we count goodness. Who's a good child? Someone who doesn't do anything wrong. Who's a good citizen? Someone who doesn't break the rules. So we have been trained to think that goodness is not doing wrong. But God's pleasing is in doing what's right. So you want to rise above being right and wrong, from being right and wrong and being constantly in the self-condemning guilt trip constantly, move above that to getting onto mission with God and actually doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. So Jesus says, as long as the Father is with me, He's always with me and He's always telling me what to do, I am clear about my mission. I'm always aware that God is with me. You want to take God with you. Take Him into your appointments. Take Him into your interviews. Take him into your medical tests that you have to do. Be aware that God is constantly with you. Don't ask for prayer. Talk to God. Don't ask for prayer. Talk to God. When you talk to God, you'll have a better shot at feeling that God is with you. You think this is not important. It's very, very important. Because our greatest two fears are abandonment and loneliness, our greatest confidence is the fact is God is with me and God is for me. In your heart, say it with me. God is with me and God is for me. He's not against me. He's not against me. And when I hear the voice of God, I hear the voice of a father. And the father's voice is always kind, always loving, always calling, always gentle, always forgiving. That's your father. I don't know which God you've been introduced to. I don't know who told you to feel as guilty as you are feeling. I don't know who told you that you were being judged. Nobody's judging you. Nobody even cares to judge you. There's only one who's got his heart beating for you, and that is the Father. And Jesus says, I am always aware that God is with me. Number one, I know exactly who I am. Number two, that's an identity issue. Number two, I know God's purpose for my life. Number three, I'm always aware that God is with me. When you have that confidence, it will take you to a different place. Number four, I let God help me choose my words. I let God help me choose my words. Jesus says, I have not spoken anything of my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me, circle, what to say and how to say it. What to say and how to say it. I like that message version over there. Because that's very key. Content 
and delivery. Both are important, right? Because at home, isn't, isn't it norm to, normal to hear? What? What? I said right only. What are you upset about what I said? Didn't I say what? Didn't I, didn't I say, didn't you do that? Didn't I? So what are you getting so upset about? I'm right only. I, I'm saying, I'm just telling you the truth. Right plus rude is wrong. Right plus rude is wrong. So the way you say it, the way you deliver it, the way you, you communicate, the way you influence, mothers get very, very frustrated over this. Some mothers are not able to influence their children into a certain kind of behavior. Okay? So they lose it. And they go into all sorts of demonic expressions on the face. And they're all twisted and angry and yelling. And the kid just stands there staring at the mother, totally entertained. <laughs> Completely entertained. And that frustrates the mother even more. Because she's not getting through. And we have a problem not with content but with delivery. And the frustration is that we're not able to get through to the loved ones that we want to influence and we feel our love. Why do you think I beat you? Because I love you. Why am I screaming at you all the time? Because I love you. Why did I not feed you? Because I love you. And we're not able to compute. We're not able to get that. And that's just one example. But we all struggle with that. Right plus rude is wrong. Wrong. So God helps us with the words. Jesus says, I don't speak on my own. I speak the words which God gives me. And the Father gives me the words and those words I give to you. I have not spoken on my own. So number four, I let God help me choose my words. My goodness, do we need help on that one? If you don't believe me, just ask your spouse. Just ask your spouse. Do you think God, I need God's help with my words? Let me know what they say. I think I already know. Number five. I don't worry about pleasing everyone. Boom. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're talking about a cosmopolitan time of age in the olden days where we had the Greeks with all of their you know, debates and their opinions and their newsletters and their subjects of, 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 and content of, of, of uh, debate. Then you had then science and all of that coming about. And then you had the Roman rulers and the power and politics and the games they played with that. Then you had the Jewish and the Sanhedrin. You had the, you had the uh, Sadducees, the Pharisees, all trying to re-emphasize their religious superiority, all trying to work. In that whole scenario, Christ stood alone. Everybody turned against him and he stood alone. And when he said something, he said it on his own authority. And when nobody agreed with him, it didn't bother him. And Christ wants you to think like him. It doesn't mean don't care about what the other people are saying. Don't, 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 no, no, no. Don't go home and say, Pastor Jerry said, don't care about what you say. I did not say that. But what we are saying is that Christ thought that there is one person I have to please. And as long as that person is smiling... Everybody else is going to be okay. It's not that person against everybody else. That's another conditioning that we need to change. But it's if God the Father is pleased, then everything else in my life will also fall into place. We fall into the trap of having to please others. And the reason we do that is because we are not pleased ourselves. 
we are not right with God. We don't know what God's will is for our life. And we are living with so much sense of failure and sense of condemnation. I don't know who put that there. But you're not hearing the voice of God enough. Because if you heard the Father's voice more often, you'd be a lot more confident in yourself, feel more loved, and feel more right. I don't worry about pleasing everyone. He says, I only try to please the one who sent me. That's an audience, an audience of one. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to love one and hate the other. You can't serve two masters. So you can either choose to serve the people, love the people, influence the people, please the people, or you can choose to please God. Both are not going to work. And many of us, our lives are revolved, they're wrapped around some person you're trying to please. It works both ways. Either you choose one particular person that has to be happy out of the, as the out, outcome of your life. You have to see that person happy. When that person is smiling, you're okay. When the person is not smiling, you're not okay. And your whole life is about pleasing that one person. Today, you need to let go of that one person. Today, you need to write that name on your palm and you need to say, Lord, no more that person. From now on, it's going to be God the Father. You need to, in your mind, decide that the one I choose to live to please is God the Father. Therefore, I need to hear that person's voice more than this particular person. God wants you to think like that. You live to... To please some people. Then there's the other side where there are certain people who will place themselves in your life and make you responsible for their happiness. They will make you responsible for their happiness. They will communicate to you constantly what all is wrong and what you have done and what you have not done. And you are constantly made to feel that my mother or my father or my friend or my loved one or my girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever that is, I don't know what that is, but is not happy because of me. How many of you right now, Afi, don't, don't answer. How many of you right now feeling there is somebody right now who's not happy or is displeased because of me? That, what, what a spirit to live with. What, is, what, what a horrific thing to live with. To go home and not sure if that person at home is happy with you. To go to work and not sure that person at work is happy with you. To constantly be on the duty of making somebody happy. How traumatic that is. And God wants you to become a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And what he's saying is, when you are a God pleaser and you live for an audience of one, he will intervene in those relationships. And he will remove and break their influence in your life. Some of them will just constantly make you responsible for their happiness. And when they are slightly happy, it doesn't last for too long. Even when you manage to make them happy, it doesn't last for too long. It lasts for about two hours, three hours, and you're back to it. Why? Because the default is to keep you in that position of making you need to make me happy. You have people like that in your life. And some of you have three or four or five people in your life. And what happens with that is number one. Point number one is eroded. What is point number one? Huh? Point number one. Identity. Your identity is eroded. Now you are not about you, you are about that person. Can I tell you a secret? They're never going to be happy. So why is your life a mess because of that? They're never going to be happy. Because happiness comes from outside, joy comes from inside. What they want is joy, and the joy of the Lord is their strength. God gives joy. People don't give joy. People give happiness. So they are actually trying to 
compensate for the lack of joy inside them with the happiness outside them, and they've just made you responsible for that. Now don't go there and say, Pastor Jerry said, you're never going to be happy anyway, so I'm not going to do anything. You go get your own chai. I didn't say that. But are you working with me? Is it, is it working? It's very important to decide what these key things are in your life. Because this is how Jesus thinks. I don't worry about pleasing everyone. Number six, I depend on God's power instead of my own power. Nobody gets that. It just sounds so good from the pulpit in church. It just sounds so great. Let us all depend on God's power. Let us pray for God's power, for God's grace upon our lives. It just sounds so spiritual and, you know, benevolent. But it's a matter of fuel. It's a matter of fuel. You don't put petrol in an aeroplane. You just don't. Because you can't expect a plane to fly on petrol. You put aeronautical fuel in an aeroplane for the jet to work. For you to live a godly life, you need God's power. For you to live your own life, you need your power. You don't need God's power if you're planning to live your own life. I hope you're listening. And you cannot do God's life on your own power. It's about fuel. It's about fuel. Jesus was in a crowd in Chandni Chowk. And there were thousands of people all around him. And his disciples were walking around trying to get their skirts in order. Right? And they were all trying to work through that whole crowd. And, and you know, Thomas was off to the side. He was trying to get his dosa and everything. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus suddenly screamed out, Who touched me? And the disciples are like, Are you serious? Suddenly chalk. I mean, there's people all around. We are touching you? Who touched me? And Jesus said, No, somebody touched me. And one of the disciples who quietly went decided they were going to work through this. He went and found this woman who was having a bleeding issue. And she had come and touched the hem of his garment. And he, she was healed. And he felt the power of God flow through him, the Bible says. And she was healed. Who touched me? See, when you get used to the power of God, when you experience the power of God, as I'm feeling right now as I preach to you, when you experience being used by God to change people's lives, to say words that you would never have said on your own, when you get used to God's presence in your life, God's, God's, God's enabling in your life, when you get used to God's power, that fuel in your life, you get addicted to that kind of a rush, that kind of a power. You don't want to go back to your own power. You don't want to go back to your own power. Listen very carefully. You will not hear this message outside. Outside message with, with Sanjeev, Sanjeev Chopra or whatever his name is, with Jay Shetty, with Ellen, with Steve, with who are the other people you listen to, and all the 151 minute motivational speakers that are on Instagram today. Everybody's telling you, you got it. The power's in you. You find your own power. You live it. You can do it. It's right within you. It's your day. It's your year. Yeah. And I'm telling you today, I'm telling you to the 7th of April, mark my words, the smartest thing you can do is quit depending on your own power. Oh, what is this guy preaching? He's preaching uh, an annulment of any person's personal confidence. He's saying you are good for nothing. You don't have strength. No, I didn't have said that. I just said you're supposed to be dead. You know what I'm talking about. You're supposed to be in the grave. 
You're supposed to be on the cross. And Christ is supposed to be living his life in you. You're not even supposed to be alive. So why do you have an opinion? You're not even supposed to be living your life. So why are you worried about your dreams? You're supposed to be living Christ's life. Unless you're a pseudo disciple and you're just fooling all of us. Because if you're a real follower of Jesus, a real believer, if you're a disciple of Christ, you have left all to follow Christ. Though none may follow, I will follow him. Though all may leave me, I will follow him. The cross before me, the world behind me. I will not depend on my own strength. You've got to come to peace with the fact that your strength is good for your life. But it's not good if you're living Christ's life. And God has not called you to live Christ's life in your strength. So when you begin to understand what power means and how this fuel uh, is sourced into your life, you will become addicted to it and you will never turn back. You'll never go back on it. I depend on God's power. Jesus depended on God's power. If anyone could have pulled it off on his own, it should have been Jesus. Jesus says, I depend on God's power. I assure you the son of God to do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. I know you're getting tired. Let me go faster. Number seven, I forgive my enemies and those who hurt me. This is where that power works. This is where that power works. That power is not at work in healing. In healing. Even doctors can heal people. But to be able to forgive somebody who is currently hating you and conniving to destroy you. No, you don't believe me. Read the verse. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you or persecute you. He's not saying about people who did it, repented, and came, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so sorry. I did that to you. Okay, okay, I forgive you in Jesus' name. He's not talking about that. He's saying they are currently in the task of destroying your name. They are ripping your, your reputation to shreds. They are working against you. They are trying to tear you apart. Forgive them. Forgive them. And number one. Number two, pray for them. God is amazing and he's very mean. God has said that my enemies and the people who are trying to persecute me and destroy me despitefully use me. Has that happened to you? despitefully use me. He says he wants me to become their prayer champions. He wants me to become their prayer champions. Work with the logic. That means God wants to change them, but God works in, in response to prayer. And who did God choose to pray for them? Me. Why? Because there is a dynamic of prayer. When you pray for somebody and with somebody, you cannot hold anything against that person. When you pray for an enemy, automatically you start getting feelings of forgiveness and love for that person. When you pray with your wife, when you pray with your husband, you cannot, cannot be unfaithful. You cannot think badly towards them. You cannot talk rudely to them. When you pray together, all walls fall down. So God destroys walls of enmity by asking you to pray for those who you don't think should be prayed for. Think about it. Number seven, I forgive my enemies. I forgive my enemies. Maybe there's somebody whose name you have to write down and say, I'm going to let that person go. I'm going to let that person go. Number eight, I'm willing to sacrifice for others. Jesus 
from the beginning was clear it wasn't going to be about him. He was going to sacrifice. Read with me. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I came here not to be served but to serve. This is how we know love. This is how we know what love is. This is the definition of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The definition of love is not a romantic movie. It's not a wonderful kiss of, from a frog to a princess. It's not the wonderful end of a love story. It's how Jesus went to the cross for somebody who didn't deserve love. That is love. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Number nine, I want to do God's will, not mine. Jesus was clear about that. He says, I came to do what God wants me to do. I want the world to know that I love the Father and I do exactly as he says. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this suffering away from me, but not my will, but yours. He humbled himself, fully obedient to God. Even when he caused of death, God exalted him and raised him up. You see, Jesus from the beginning knew that he was born, be born to sacrifice himself. From the beginning, he was, that was what he was all about. And number 10, I think with an eternal perspective, Jesus says. What are we talking about? We're saying I need to change my thinking to Christ's thinking. How does Christ think? Eternally. He thinks eternally. Some of you think about the next 10 years. Some of you think about your old age, the closer you get to it. And Christ thinks about eternity. What am I going to get in eternity? So he makes his decisions. Listen carefully. He makes his decisions, his sacrifices, and sets his priorities, and chooses his wins and his battles based on what's going to be beneficial for eternity. He's got his eyes on eternity. So let's go over it from the top. Number one, I know exactly who I am. Number two, I know God's purposes for my life. Number three, I'm always aware that God is with me. Number four, I let God help me choose my words. I don't worry about pleasing everyone. I depend on God's power instead of my own. I forgive my enemies and those who hurt me. I'm willing to sacrifice for others. I want to do God's will, not mine. And lastly, I think about, uh, think with an eternal perspective. How can I learn to think like Jesus? Two ways. Two ways. Number one, study the life and works of Jesus. Study the life and words of Jesus. When you study it, you will understand through the Gospels how Jesus thought. And when you understand how he thinks, you will also understand how he acts and how he feels. And number two, ask God to show you the meaning of how to apply this to your life today. What am I supposed to do with this message? What does God want me to do with this message? Because out of ten, at least one or two should be something you're saying, I want to work on that. I want to change my thinking in that area. It can't be that all 10 don't apply to you. There's got to be something that you're saying, Lord, number six or number eight. So take a moment, bow your head. With every eye closed and every head bowed, make a business deal with God. Close the deal with God. Saying, Lord, no, no, something's got to change. Because if I don't change my thinking, I'm not going to change my ways. Make a decision. Think about a name. Father in heaven, as your people are thinking, as memories flood their, their mind, Lord, would you release them from some of the bondage and some of the traps that they have fallen into because of our own way of thinking, a worldly way of thinking, an ungodly way of thinking. 
We all have friends, and friends influence us. We love our friends, and therefore we accept and trust their way of thinking. But, oh God, you want us to make your thinking ours. You want us to think like Jesus. Very clearly the scripture says, we are called to do your work. Father, would you do that today? Would you give us the humility to accept the fact that maybe our thinking needs to change? Because we, some of us are proud, proud people. We just don't want to change. Lord, would you do that? Would you give us the humility? Give us the courage to make a decision and to act on it. We love you, Lord. We want to honor Christ in our life, in our families. We want to lift Jesus up in our church. We want this nation to know how much you love them and how much you have sacrificed for them. We want people who don't know you to get to know you. We want the power of God to flow through us. We want healing to flow. We want wisdom to flow. We want unaccepted, abandoned, lonely people to walk through this door, these doors and to find family, to find relationship, to find meaning, to find identity. We want that, Jesus. Even if more than half this crowd doesn't agree with me, I want you to want that. I want you to influence us to be a church that is 100% committed to others. Give us the courage to let go of our dependence on ourselves. Give us the courage to turn to your power for our lives. Show them what it means. Go from concept to conclusion, oh God. Show them what it means to switch power sources. I need you to follow through on this, oh God. Spirit of God, I need you to complete this download. In Jesus' name I pray.